and we talked quite a bit about that. We said that it's connected to our salvation. And then also we said that it is concerned with making Gentiles part of the body with the Jews. Now remember, uh, we, we looked at this last week, but I just want to remind you that the original church, the church of the New Testament, was primarily made up of those who were of the Jewish background, the Jewish faith, and they came to embrace Christ as their Messiah. And we think of it differently. In America, we think, oh no, the Jews are the ones that uh, need to be brought in. Well, originally, it was the Gentiles. And so when the Jews came to Christ, and then Gentiles started to come to Christ, they thought, well, what do we do with these people? I mean, they're from a pagan background. They bring all their pagan baggage. How do we blend them into the church of Jesus Christ? How do we fellowship together? We can't even be around these people. And we saw that that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit's baptism does when you come to faith in Christ. He places you in the body of Christ to make us one body in Christ. And the reason I spent so much time on that is, and we didn't even get into it last week, and it's a whole other message, but we do not believe here in this church the modern-day theology. It's an errant theology of replacement theology. And you say, well, what is replacement theology? Replacement theology says, well, basically when the church came along in the New Testament, it replaced the nation of Israel. And so no longer do the promises of Israel hold valid in God's mind because now we have the church. And so you have theologians that literally believe that and they pull certain texts out of, out of uh, context to prove their point. But we have to remember that really the, the grace that God has opportuned to the nation of Israel is really a picture of our salvation. He took a people for no good reason. It's not like they were great people and he picked the greatest team on the block, right? I mean, he, he picked them, he chose them to be his own people. And the idea that one day he would unchoose them or somehow he would not have them as his special people really flies in the face of a picture of salvation for us. Because if it could happen to Israel, well, then it could happen to us. He could replace us. He could say, well, I'm done with you, Christians. I want somebody else now. Um, And so we have to think about that. And, And so replacement theology says all the promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament are invalid, and now they apply to the church. And we do not believe the scriptures teach that. We believe that his promises are true for all eternity. Amen. God doesn't change his mind in the middle of the program. And so we have to be diligent uh, to kind of point that out. And so in the present passage, he explains and he illustrates here from verses 14 down to 27, really, um, the nature and the importance of having unity through diversity within the body of Christ. That's really what we are called to have. Um, And so the diversity of the original church was ordained by God. It was a way of bringing fellowship from two totally different people of different backgrounds, pagan and Gentile, together in making one body. And he does the same thing today. Just look around the room. There's different people, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic, different ethnic backgrounds. And we're all called, once we come to Christ, we're all called into one body. That's the body of Jesus Christ. And so we have to remind ourselves that unless each diverse member of the body of Christ recognizes and accepts their part of the whole body, 
then guess what? Diversity is not going to unite us. It's going to divide us. <laughs> um, it's going to destroy us rather than build us up. It's going to bring discord rather than harmony. See, God created this way because I really believe he just wanted, wanted to say, look at what I can do. <laughs> I can take all these different people from totally different backgrounds, gift them in entirely different ways. Even though you may have the same gift as somebody else, maybe you have the gift of teaching, you probably exercise that gift differently than somebody else. There's, there's no identical giftedness. There's no identical believer within the body of Christ. Well, I'm just like brother so-and-so. We're, we're cookie cutter. We're exactly the same. No, you're not. We're all different. And yet we're all called to one body. We're all called to harmony. We're all called, rather than serving ourselves, we're called to give of ourselves for the greater good. So with that being said, look at our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 14. And I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word, because this is a lengthy reading here, down to verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 16, if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would, make not, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we seek, that we we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, or ugly parts, really is the, the word, are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And that's the section of scripture we want to read this morning. Father, we pray that you bless this word to our hearts as we wrap up this section. And we just ask that you would uh, work in a way that only you can in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we looked at the, the nature of the body of Christ. Today we want to look at the need of the members of the body of Christ. When we come to the church and we look at the makeup of the church, we're all needy people. There's not one person here this morning saying, nope, I am perfectly, totally mature in Christ. I have no need of anything. I don't need anybody to minister to me. I I am perfect. That would not be a good statement to make because it wouldn't be true and you'd be lying in church, right? And so we want to look at the need of the members of the body of Christ. And this kind of flies in the face of our American thinking a lot of times because a lot of times in America we're told to be you know, individualistic, stand up for yourself, your own rights. Your own. And, and when it comes to the body of Christ, it's just the opposite. 
It says, no, you lay down your rights for the sake of another person or another member of the body of Christ. And so look at the first point here, the need of the members of the body of Christ. First of all, verses 14 to 17, and then also 19 and 20, it says it's characterized by diversity and unity. And we talked a little bit about this before, but so I'm not going to go crazy on this, but it's characterized by diversity and unity. I mean, that's really what he says there. If you want to understand what the church is all about, it's not a building. Okay, this isn't your church. Not my church. <laughs> um, it's not an organization. Some people view churches as an organization. You know, the pastor's the CEO, and you have all the other little underlings and all. That's, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible calls us to believe the church is. The church, just quickly, is an organism. It's something that's living, it's thriving, it's growing. Because it's the body of Christ. And so we need to understand, when we talk about diversity and unity, we're not talking about two things that are mutually exclusive. As a matter of fact, you can't have unity if you don't have diversity. Because unity doesn't mean conformity. We're not trying to conform to somebody's image other than Christ. And that's where, unfortunately, a lot of churches have it all wrong. You know, the pastor dresses a certain way and everybody else dresses that way. The pastor wears a pair of glasses, everybody else wears a pair of glasses. The pastor preaches a certain way, everybody else preaches the same way. It's like a bunch of little clones. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about unity. It's talking about the unity that we have in the body of Christ. See, what makes this one is not that we have the same likes or dislikes. I mean, some of you, I'd love to go to dinner with you because why? I know you love steak. It's fun to go to dinner. Some of you are vegetarians. I'd be like, eh, I don't know. I guess I could try it, but, you know, if there's not some meat involved, I'm not that interested. All right? And so when you stop and think about that, that's not what makes this one. What makes this one is not the same personality traits or even the same giftedness. What makes us united is the fact that we all share as Followers and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all share the same blessed Holy Spirit. He has baptized us into one body. Even though we're diverse, even though we're made up of different personalities and different giftedness, we're one in Christ. So there's three things here I want you to see. First of all, the members are described as being numerous and different from one another. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member. That would be weird. I mean, if you had a body that was just like a giant head with no ear or no eyes, it'd just it'd be weird, or a leg with no toes or feet. I mean, it would be odd, right? You would like, well, some, something went wrong there. What's wrong? What's wrong? Because the body does not consist of one member, but of what? Many. Of many members. In verse 19, same point. If all were a single member, where would the body be? If we were all exactly identically the same, you wouldn't have a body. Verse 20, as it were, there are many parts, yet one body. So our unity is really through the diversity that God has given to us. And we're described as being numerous and different from one another. And that should be celebrated because, you know what, it's celebrated by God. It shouldn't irritate you that somebody uses their gift of teaching a little different than you use yours. 
So we have to be reminded of that. Secondly, in verses 15 to 16, it talks about the members of the body being defined by a specific function that is different from others. We all have a role to play. We all have a function within the body of Christ. Look what he says in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. All right, we got an identity crisis there. Something's going wrong. That would not make it any less part of the body. See, there's some believers today, unfortunately, that come to church and come to church faithfully. They don't do anything when they come to church. They come to church, they sit, they sing, hear a message, and leave. They're not fulfilling their role within the body of Christ. That's like saying, well, you know what, I'm not being used, so I'm not part of the body. No, you have a role to play. You have to believe that God has gifted you with certain spiritual gifts that he wants you, he commands you to use within the body of Christ. Or verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. See, and this is, in a weird way, kind of something positive. Even though maybe you're not using your spiritual giftedness yet. I mean, you talk to some people and they say, well, you know, where do you go to church? Oh, I got a Grace Bible. I'm not really involved there. There's nothing really for me to do. I don't really, you know, I just go to church there. Well, that's not our problem. That's your problem. You know, you need to get busy. You need to roll your hands up, your sleeves up, and say, hey, you know what? What can I do to serve the body of Christ? And that's what we're called to do. Just because you're not serving, that doesn't make you any less part of the body. It does kind of create a burden on others. Because whether you believe it or not, God has a specific purpose for you belonging to the body of Christ. And part of that specific purpose is so that you could serve one another. And guess what? If you're not serving someone, someone's not being served. (laughs) Because God has a purpose for you to reach out to serve, to minister to others within the body of Christ. And it's a special function that comes from God. And it may be different from everybody else. Only you are gifted by God to do what he has chosen you to do. And you say, well, I don't know what it is he wants me to do. Just start doing something. He'll show you. Trust him. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He can lead you. He can guide you. So the members are described as being numerous, The members are defined by a specific function that's oftentimes different from the others. And just because you don't feel you're part of the body because you're not being used, that's don't give in to that feeling. You should desire to be used by the Lord. Um, I mean, I don't know what God is going to do through you or with you in your life spiritually. Nobody does. But he has given your gifts to help you to be part of the body of Christ. And that's caused by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we don't want to forget that. He wants his life to be seen in and through you. And part of that is by serving. You have a function that nobody else has. And we should be fulfilling that. Well, thirdly here, The members are dependent upon one another for the proper functioning of the body. 
Look at what it says in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Uh, we're dependent upon one another. It's, it's very important that we understand this. I mean, there are some churches that think, oh, you know, uh, if brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so ever left our church, I don't know what we'd do, Right? I used to think that until I've been here long enough to realize people come and go, <laughs> right? It's already tough enough to pastor a church in the Bay Area, but, you know, it's, it's, it's extra difficult because you have wonderful families that move in from out of state, and they're all excited, and they get plugged into your church, and they become members, and they're giving, and, boy, they got kids, everything's going great, and then they come, and they tap you on the shoulder and go, we can't afford to live here anymore, we're moving, <laughs> sorry. And you're like, oh, no, what, God, what's going to happen? I mean, the whole family left. It's seven kids. How are you going to provide for the church? He does. He does. See, we, we buy into this thing that somehow it's all based on one or two people. And that's not the case. God forms the body of Christ. He molds it together. He shapes it. He fashions it. I mean, we're not exactly in the heart of conservatism here, right? This is the Bible belt. So, I mean, when you find a good family and they want to come to your church, you want to latch on to them, man. You want to use them. You, you want them to be used. And you want to continue to allow them to serve and become a thriving part. And we've, you know, I mean, Ken and I have been here long enough, him more than me. But, I mean, we've been here long enough to realize, you know what? It comes and goes. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's been years when we've had... You know, 15, 20 kids in Sunday school. What are we going to do? We don't have enough teeth. <laughs> you know, then there's times when you have two or three. And you know what? It's okay. I mean, God would be that it would be more. But, you know, this isn't the Bible belt. It's more like the Baal belt. You know, it's, just the, it's just like the focus on paganism in this area is really, really strong. And so there's people that want to use their time, their talent, and treasure. And sometimes, you know, Ken and I joke about it. But I think of GBC as kind of like a hospital. People come. Sometimes they come from all sorted backgrounds. And maybe their theology isn't what it should be, whatever they come. They plug in for a couple of years, and they get kind of patched up. And then for whatever reason, God moves them on. And to be honest, at first that was hard. It was hard to, you feel rejected. You feel kind of like, oh, what am I doing wrong? But after a while, it's kind of like, well, God, I don't know, but at least we had that time with those people. You know, we spoke truth into their lives, and we pray that it did some work. And you know what's funny is when you sit back and you look at it, God's always faithful to bring somebody else, another family. Maybe he's gifted in a different way, but maybe similar that takes up. God takes care of his church. I mean, it was Jesus himself that said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So we don't need to be looking for means to grow the church in, in a way that is secular, in a way that, well, let's just entertain people and we'll get more people. And No, we don't, we don't want to go down that road. That's not what we're called to do. Um, and there's a, by the way, there's a lot of material out there on church growth today. I mean, just go online and look at some of the materials. And uh, 
I was looking over one book, and it was talking about how, you know, the key to church growth, it's, it all lies with the pastor. You know, he's the CEO, and, you know, if he is a dynamic personality, all this stuff. And it was like so dripping of secularism. It just, it's not stuff that's found in the Bible. And yet, obviously, the person they're talking about has a church that's, you know, filled up to capacity plus some. But the point is, is that what are they compromising to get there? You know, we would love to see our church full of people. But we're not willing to compromise the truth of the gospel or the word of God to make that happen. Um, You know, that's why we're meeting, to be honest. We're meeting because we believe that we should meet as the body of Christ. This is a mandate by God, and that supersedes any mandate by a governor or local official or whatever. I mean, in all honesty, the churches that are, I mean, you hear some of these pastors talk, and and they're ministering to hundreds of thousands of people, some of these churches, right, through their media and through all that stuff. Well, we're not going to open up until 2022. It's like, what are you thinking? I mean, why do you think that's okay? That's not a, what the church is called to do. Um, So the members are dependent on one another, for the proper functioning of the body. That's why it's important to understand that when one member isn't here, guess what? The whole body suffers. The whole body suffers. Because God has a role in that one person being here. I mean, sometimes we tend to put the elders or the pastor on the soapbox and say, oh, well, you know, without so-and-so. You know, that's, that's not even biblical. We've got to get away from the idea of, idolizing those who are in church leadership. It's just not biblical. And some church growth movements put all the emphasis on that, you know. It's all, the, it's all focused on one or two individuals. And, you know, the church would fail if you didn't have that person in charge or whatever. That's, that's not true. And if you know anything about missions, all you have to do is look around the world And there are small little churches that are thriving up in the Himalayas and places where pastors wouldn't even dream of going. But they got a congregation of believers there. And you know what? They got the Word of God and they got the Holy Spirit. And they don't need anything else. You know, the idea that a ministry fails or succeeds because of one person is just not biblical at all. I mean, that's really what touched my heart and drew me to this church originally when we started to talk 22-some years ago with the elders. And they started to share their story, how they'd gone through a church split, and it was just really difficult, and the whole congregation basically left, had a handful of people left. All the elders resigned. I think they had three or four elders that said, well, let's give it one more shot. And for two years, they just ministered to the little small flock here. Two years. You know what? It actually grew during that time. Before they ever even called a pastor. See, that's, that's the true biblical church. I'm not saying that there's not a place for a pastor, obviously. There's not a role. God has gifted certain men, and we'll be looking at that next week. 
for the edification of the body of Christ. But it all doesn't fall or succeed based on that one fact. And that's what drew me here, the mere fact that the church continued after a tough split. I thought, you know what? God's doing something here. I mean, most people would have walked away and said, "Eh, it's not worth it. Sell it, give it to the missions. So we have to be reminded of that. I mean, if a church falls or rises just because of one individual, then maybe it should. (laughs) Maybe it should fall. You know, if a certain pastor leaves or a certain elder leaves and Boy, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. God take care of his church. He always does. You got to get away from this Messiah syndrome. Like, I, you know, I'm God's gift to the body. And if it wasn't for me, boy, there wouldn't be one. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. God loves taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things through them. That's what he's in the business of doing. I mean, think of some of the individuals he used in Scripture or even some of the things. I mean, he used Balaam's. Donkey, right? I was going to say ass, but the... Oh, donkey, right? He used Balaam's donkey. Do you think he could use you? I think so. He can use anyone at any time for anything. And so the need of the members of the body of Christ are described as numerous and different. They're defined as having a special function. It's different than others. They're dependent upon one another. It's very important to understand that. But it's not only characterized by diversity and unity, but it's also controlled by God himself. Look at what it says in verse 18. This whole process is controlled by God himself. It says, but as it is in verse 18, who arranged? God arranged the members of the body. In other words, he took the time in all eternity to say, you know what? For this period of time, I'm going to put this person here at this church. And then, you know what? After a period of time, they're going to go here. They're going to do this. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. It wasn't like a lot of, you know, just a a group of people. Okay, the people in Redwood City, I'm just going to... No, individually. That means by name. He has a role for you to play. And he chose, it says, as he chose. It's controlled by the sovereignty of God. God is doing what he wants to do in and through our church, even though it may not be what we want. I've often told Ken, I mean, if we could retain everybody that has moved out of the Bay Area here in our church, we'd be a mega church. We would. But that's not what God has. And you know what? God has gifted you. God has gifted me for this time in all eternity, to do what he has called us to do here in this church, here on the peninsula. The whole thing is controlled by God. It's not controlled by us. And you know what? God loves the way this works. He loves taking people nobody thinks or cares about and using them for his glory. He loves taking ordinary people and making something special, extraordinary out of them. I mean, I saw this a lot of times, even as a youth pastor. Sometimes, you know, a kid would say, well, you know, come up to me and they'd say, well, you know, I want to do this ministry or I want to do that or whatever. And I'd be like, you? Really? (laughs) 
I mean, you're the last person I would come to ask you to do that, but and you give them, give them a chance to do it, and guess what? They're really good at it, and they love it, and the Lord blesses it. But you would have never picked that person. You would have never even dreamed that God would use them in that way. And it's the same way. You know, when we look at ourselves, we may not feel adequate, we may not feel gifted, we may not feel a bunch of stuff. But what the Word of God says is you are gifted, you are special in God's eyes, and he does want to use you. I mean, the truth of the matter is God takes people nobody thinks will ever do anything, and he uses them for his glory in a way that you would never even suspect. Why? Because they don't get the glory, he does. Don't ever underestimate what God has done or can do through you. It pleased him to give you what he gave you in your giftedness. And he wants you to be used in whatever way he wants. So it's characterized by diversity and unity. It's controlled by God himself. And then the third point here, it's concerned with the attitudes and responses. Look at this. The members have toward one another. This is important. It's a big section of Scripture, 21 through 27. But I just want to point out a couple things here. This kind of gets down to where you know, you're putting the stuff on the bottom shelf, right? You know, what God really wants of us is that we treat each other within the body of Christ with a little respect, with a little honor. And to thank God for one another and to love one another and to encourage one another instead of criticizing and questioning, tearing down. That doesn't build up the body of Christ. Well, a couple things here. Verses 21 to 22, it talks about the interdependency of the members upon each other. It says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I mean, if you wanted to eat a banana, and you saw the banana with your eye, but you had no hands, you may have a little difficult. Right? I mean, that would be difficult to do that. And so our bodies work in concert. I've seen people do that in ministry. You know, somebody wants to help out in some area and, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. No way. Not that person. I mean, my theology is always basically, let them try it. <laughs> if it works out, great. If it doesn't, then you've got to move them somewhere else. But let them try it. Remember, we had a real old guy at First Baptist Church in Fremont when I was there as a youth pastor and the pastor had left, and so here I was, a really young Christian, very young youth pastor, um, trying to teach in this church, do the music, do the children, do the music, doing everything, basically. And, I mean, we had people helping, but this went on for about a year and a half, two years. And I remember um, there was an interim, they, called the, they finally realized, okay, this guy can't handle this. We need to get an interim in here that has some wisdom, because I really didn't know what I was doing. And so they called an interim pastor. And it was through the um, Conservative Baptist Association, but his name was Glenn Caldwell, and uh, is an older gentleman. And for three days a week, he'd drive all the way up from, um, uh, not Saratoga, what's that town down in Scotts, Scotts Valley? He was the mayor of Scotts Valley. He was a committed believer. 
And he'd come up, and I'll never forget, I mean, I didn't spend a whole lot of time because they found a pastor with him, you know, but the times I spent with him were just invaluable because he had so much wisdom. He had, he had, he had just the ability to, to help you out, to give you um, information that will assist you. And, and it, was, it was amazing because, you know, we had this guy in the church that um, was really old and kind of confused, and he was going downhill quick, but he wanted to serve. And he said, well, since you don't have a pastor during this time, you know, can you let me do this? I forget what it was. It was a greeting ministry or whatever. And in my heart, I just, there's no way. I mean, this guy, I mean, people will run if they even see this guy standing at the door, right? I mean, kind of disheveled and everything. And you know what? This pastor said, let him do it. Let him try it. You might want to school him a little bit and tell him, you know, you might want to brush your teeth and comb your hair and, you know, you can't wear clothes with, you know, showing your underwear because you have holes in them. So I remember, you know, we sat down and we talked, oh, I'll do that, you know, and he came and he was, he was a great greeter for years at that church, you know. But at first it was like, no, nah, I don't think so. Right? I'm not going to take a chance on that guy. Um, and so we're all interdependent upon each other. But also, verses 23 to 24, there's an importance to each member. It says there, it talks about the weaker or the more feeble, the King James says. The less honorable or the honorable, the unpresentable, or literally that means the ugly parts of the body. He says on the contrary, in verse 22, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker... And not that they are weaker, but they seem to be weaker, are indispensable. I talked to somebody one time. I think they, I forget which toe it is, but they broke either their little toe or their big toe. And they said, you don't believe what the big toe does. <laughs> whatever that, whatever member it was, I forget what. But, I mean, literally, it affects everything else in your entire body almost to a certain degree. And to have it out of function. And yet you would never think that. See, there are some people that are called to certain ministries that you may not see what they do. They may not be up front. They may not be highlighted in any way. But you know what? They may seem, oh, that's just a weak little ministry. But you know what? It's indispensable. And we need to be reminded of that. And sometimes the people, it says they're the parts of the body we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. You know, sometimes it's the person that maybe comes and sets up the, the, the chairs or sets up the, the communion or sets up the fellowship time. Those are the people that need to be praised. Those are the people that need a pat on the back. That they need to, you know, be honored. Why? Because they probably don't ever get that. Because they're not up front. They're not, you know, the focal point. But without those vital ministries, what happens? A lot of stuff falls, goes under the bridge. So the people, a lot of times, that are getting praises from the people in the local churches, they don't need it. (laughs) It's the people that don't get praise for anything. Those are the people that we should be giving praise to. So there's an importance, it says there, to each member. But in verse 25, 26, it talks about the intent of God behind the relationships of the members. Verse 25, it says that there may be no division in the body. Why does God make up the body the way he does, so diverse? Well, one of the reasons is, is 
It says the members may have the same care for one another. Same care for one another. That Greek word is used over 19 times in the New Testament. And it really, you know, it has that idea that you're, you're providing mutual care. A couple things here. First of all, it prevents division. Verse 25, there should be no schism or division within the body. That's the Greek word schisma. It's used eight times. It's used in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that we looked at that. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all you agree that there be no divisions or schisma among you, that you may all be united, the same mind, with the same judgment. Or in verse 18 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, when you come together as a church, he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And the idea is there shouldn't be. So when you have the same care for each member of the body, you don't have certain people that you favor over others, then guess what? It prevents that kind of division. It prevents division. It provides unity. But it also provides encouragement in the time of trial. Verse 26, it says there that we should suffer with it. If one member suffers, all suffer, what? Together. Together. If one member is honored... All rejoice together. Pasco, there is the original word, and it has a lot to say about suffering. It's used 41 times. A couple of those times. First, or Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but that you should suffer for his sake. When's the last time you heard someone tell a Christian that it's God's will for you to suffer? You hear about this, you know, your great, great life now and all this other stuff, this positive stuff. But you know what? God has called us to a life of suffering in Christ. Now, yeah, there's blessings that he provides and bountiful supply, all those things. But the moment we come under any kind of persecution or any kind of suffering at all here in America, it's like, wow, the, the wheels fall off. The, we don't know what to do. What's going to happen? Well, you know what God is doing? is God purging his church. God's using the suffering that we go through to help us be pure for him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 19-20, he writes, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows, while suffering unjustly. Sometimes you do suffer unjustly. But you know what? We don't need to cry over it. We just need to accept it and ask God for the grace to continue. So this same care, it provides encouragement during a time of trial. It prevents division, but it also promotes joy. It promotes joy in times, in times of blessing. In verse 26 there, he says, you know, rejoice with it. When, when someone suffers, you suffer with them. But when someone rejoices, you rejoice with them. You know, when someone's honored, you don't sit there in your seat and go, well, I don't know why they're getting that honor and praise. They never gave that to me. Gee, nobody ever even said thank you for me. Look at what I do around here. You know, so many times that's the attitude people have. And the Bible says, no, that's not right. We should have the same care for one another because it promotes joy in times of blessing. 
By the way, if you have the right attitude, right? If you don't, then you're going to be in a world of hurt. So we've seen here the need of the members of the body of Christ, characterized by diversity and unity. It's controlled by God himself. It's concerned with our attitudes and responses the members have toward one another. But then, here lastly, it's centered on our relationship with Christ. Look at what it says there in verse 27. He says, now you, plural, you are, you all are. You could say it that way. You all are the body of Christ. And individually, members of it. See, that's what God has called us to. God has called us from our different backgrounds, our different giftedness, everything. He's called us to be one body, united by the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God. Even though we're all individuals, even though we're all different, this whole thing is to be centered in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And see, when that happens, when the world gets just a glimpse of that, what does that do? That honors Christ. They scratch their head and say, man, that's the weirdest church. They got people from all kinds of walks of life there, and yet they're all kind of going in the same direction. What's going on? And it causes curiosity. It draws people in because they want to know, boy, these, these aren't just a bunch of you know, cookie-cutter Christians there. These are people that are really concerned about each other. They love each other. They, they love their community. They want, they want the best. They're concerned. They pray together. They have fellowship together. They're a true body. They're a true family. See, that's what God calls us to. The problem is, within the local church, we have those who don't have a relationship to Jesus Christ. So they're kind of part of the, the, the physical body. They're here maybe in attendance. But they're not... They haven't given their lives over to Christ yet. So maybe they're not spiritually part of the body. And so that adds a whole other layer. How, how do we treat those people? What do we do with them? You know, do we have some kind of a test at the door? If you're not a Christian, you're not allowed in here? I mean, that's, that's, we don't want to do that, right? Because we want them to hear the gospel. And so it takes the body of Christ to remember, hey, you know what? This whole body church thing is, is, is centered on our relationship, my relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ. And because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand that he has gifted you through the Holy Spirit in different ways to serve and to edify and to build up the body of Christ. And see, when that happens, when you get that right, and, and boy, it just starts to, to, to flow, then you, then you see God working dynamically in people's lives. And he does so in a way that you just stand back and you go, wow, I, I, what's going on here? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. So unity through diversity, that's what we're called to. And uh, next week we'll close off this chapter as we look at a couple of the gifts that he mentions there and, uh, in verses 28 down to um, 31. But let's close in a word of prayer as we close our message for today. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given to us the Spirit of God that unites us into one body. Lord, there's no way that we could do this successfully without your Holy Spirit within us. 
Lord, we, we wouldn't last two seconds. And yet, Father, each day we're dependent. We're desperate for you to work in and through us in every way. And we pray, Lord, more than anything, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in this small little church. Father, in a way that would cause heads to turn. In a way that would be magnetic to those who are outside of the body of Christ. That they would want to know more. Lord, I pray that each one of us would desire to live lives that are expressive of the love and grace and forgiveness that we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would do your work in and through each member of this church. Father, you gifted them individually. You gifted them specifically for their role. And Father, we do pray for those members who have either stopped coming or not coming back, whatever, Lord. We do pray that you would speak their hearts the importance of being part of a local body and father we're not called to fear cower in fear but lord we're to step out in faith to recognize that you're sovereign over all these things we pray your continued protection upon this body of christ our church physically and spiritually pray that you continue to protect our health in this day and age in which we live, pray for those in authority over us, from mayor up to the president of the United States. We pray for each one that they would have wisdom beyond themselves to make the decisions that you call them to make. And Father, we just pray now that you would just uh, bless our time of fellowship after this service and, and uh, that our communion would be sweet, would be honoring to you. We thank you. And, we pray, Lord, that if there's any here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, that, Lord, it's never too late. There's always that opportunity to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. And that's a prayer that you will answer when it comes from a sincere heart. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.